Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Here ends the New Testament reading. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who reigns. And though you reign on high, you still bring yourself down to our level to speak to us. So as we open your word now, we pray that your spirit, who caused these words in front of us to be written, would open our eyes to their meaning and help us to believe them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but um, sometimes there's just so much to do uh, that it seems impossible to just get through all the things that we have to do. Life is frantic, isn't it? Uh, So we might make lists or get stressed or we might just bury our head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend that it'll all just go away. But most importantly, we try to find ways to simplify things and do what is most important. Like, I don't know if you've heard these kind of phrases shouted out at your home or your work. Whatever happens, don't forget to put out the bins. Whatever happens, don't forget your doctor's appointment. Whatever happens, just get me that report. Whatever happens, don't forget to pick up the kids from school. Uh-oh. Though, knew I'd forgotten something. But think about it for a second. What is the most important thing you need to remember this morning? Whatever else happens in life, what do you need to remember each day? Well, as we bite off the next chunk in the letter to the Philippians this morning, we find the Apostle Paul giving his first instruction to the Christians who live there. And Paul is saying here that if you're a Christian, there is no competition as to what is most important. Whether you live in Philippi or in Benwell, every morning as you wake up, the most important thing to do on your to-do list is there in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, in case you haven't been here in recent weeks, What we're looking at here in the Bible is a letter written by one of the earliest followers of Jesus, a guy called Paul, to a group of folks who'd become Christians in Philippi 10 years earlier. And Paul had heard that these guys, they were finding it tough going to be Christians there. They were experiencing conflict and opposition, both outside the church and even within. And so Paul writes to them urgently saying, don't forget this one thing. Whatever happens, whether life is on the up or it's kind of on the slide, whether you're, you're full of life or you are even about to die, whatever happens, make sure you live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's the first of three points that I want to roll out for us. Live for the gospel. For as Paul says that, what we need to know about these Philippians 
is that they knew what it was like to live a life worthy of something. There were a bunch of people who were really, really privileged in life. As Philippi was a Roman colony, which meant that they had all kinds of better rights and perks than anyone else living around them. And they were naturally pretty proud of that. So a Philippian mother would say to her naughty children, you're not a Greek, you're not a barbarian, you're not a Cretan, conduct yourself like a Roman. And Paul has this image in his mind as he's talking to the Philippian Christians. As verse 27 can be translated like this, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. You see, Paul knows that these folks have a bigger citizenship to live for than Roman citizenship. God had in Christ Jesus made them and us also into his sons and daughters, citizens of heaven. God gives us an unbelievable status that our actions do not deserve. And with that privilege comes responsibility. It's just over 14 years since the Queen Mother died. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but I remember reading at the time of her death the story of how when her daughters went out to a party, she would always say to the young princesses, to Elizabeth and to Margaret, she would say these words, royal children, royal manners. With the privilege of being royal becomes the responsibility of behaving royally. So there was no need for a big long list of rules and regulations as they headed off. No need to spell out the curfew times. The matter was simple. Remember your privileges and act appropriately. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Christians in Philippi. Royal children, royal manners. If you're a Christian, then you have the privilege of being the children of the king of all heaven and earth. You have the privilege of having your sins forgiven, of knowing Christ, or be, of being filled with his spirit. And by his spirit, you have the privilege of being transformed to be more like him, and the guarantee of living with him for all eternity. So folks, live up to who you are. Live up to your privileges. Now let's be clear. Paul is not saying, make sure you are worthy of the gospel. Make sure you do enough things that you are good enough day to day that you are worth Jesus dying for. That's not what Paul is getting at at all here. The gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ is for sinners and failures, failures like you and like me. It's for those who, of us who finally realize that we need God's forgiveness and that without it, we're just totally lost. That is what the gospel is all about. That is what the gospel is for. So Paul isn't saying, make sure you deserve the gospel. Because we don't. No matter how hard we try, we never will. No, he's saying, make sure your life reflects the worth of the good news that you've received in Jesus. Make sure you live in such a way that it shows that you really value the privileges that you have in Christ. Just over two months' time, I will have been married to my wife, Fiona, for 17 years. That's one of those make sure you don't forget kind of things, isn't it? Make sure you don't forget your wedding anniversary. Don't worry, folks, it's locked away. June the 7th, the 8th, no, July the 10th. Don't you worry, it's it's locked away. Um, But listen, there's loads of folks, other than remembering anniversaries or special events, um, that, that, that I need to do to show that I value my marriage, don't I? 
And there are loads of th- things that I shouldn't do. Like, if you'd seen me out last night, down the big market, all dressed up, you know, with my links all sprayed on, you know, chatting up ladies, which I wasn't, can I just make clear. But if you'd seen that, or you discovered on, on the old internet, you find I've got a Tinder account, I've got a, I've got a dating website um, account open there. What would you think? Now, I'd seriously hope, especially for those of you who know me well, you would be pretty shocked at that. Because I am privileged to be married to such a lovely lady, my best friend, no less. I should want to act in a way that values that. As a married man, I should act like a married man, shouldn't I? What Paul is saying here, having received the greatest gift, the best privilege in all the world, God's forgiveness, so that you're now called the children of God. Live up to that name. Live up to your name in gratitude and thankfulness. Not trying to pay it back. Thank God for his goodness to you in rescuing you, a sinner and a failure. And you thank him by living lives that show you really know the value of knowing Jesus. And that you value that more than anything else. So what does that mean for you? What is your Tinder moment? What's the thing... If other people were to look at your life, they'd be kind of going, really? You're a Christian? What does that mean for you? What does your life show you value at home, at work, on a night out? Is it Christ and his gospel? Or is it something else? Something less worthy? We'll hear Paul's encouragement this morning. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. But hear him also say that if you want to do that, you'll never manage it on your own. <laughs> As in order to live for the gospel, we need to, secondly, fight together for the gospel. So notice again in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. Now the word striving side by side here was used of Roman soldiers who are fighting in a battle. Each soldier was trained to defend one square meter of ground against an invading army. But of course, you could never manage that on your own. I mean, you wouldn't even attempt it, would you? If you saw the enemy army marauding towards you and you got your one little square patch of ground and there was no one with you, you would be pegging it as fast as your little legs could carry you away from that army. But shoulder to shoulder, linking arms with your comrades, well, that's a different story, isn't it? You could defend the entire front line as a group, as a regiment, as a company. Well, Paul says here that we are also in a battle. There are those who oppose us. There's the devil and his evil spirits trying to take us out. And then there is the world and its influence and its opposition to Christ and to Christianity. Let's not be naive about this. They are not neutral. They stand against us, whether by actively opposing us or imperceptibly distracting us. They seek to keep us from living lives that are worthy of the gospel. And we often feel that, don't we? It's not easy to live for Christ in this world. It's even harder to speak for Christ in this world. 
Well, whether you feel it or not, Paul says, you don't fight in isolation. We engage in spiritual warfare together. We are to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's why there's no such thing as lone ranger Christians in the New Testament. No free agents or free spirits claiming to serve God, but with absolutely no connection to the local body of believers. No, in the Bible, there's always this expectation that God's people will be committed to one another. There's to be love and to be care and concern for one another in community. It's so important if we want to grow as Christians and stand as Christians in a world that is opposed to Christ, that we do it together. That's why church happens every week. That's why we don't do it every kind of two, three weeks, whenever we kind of feel like it. Coming to church on Sunday and coming to a midweek small group is absolutely crucial because we need each other every week so that we can regroup and kind of recalibrate ourselves so that we're ready to go back out and face the battle Monday morning. You see, spiritual growth or spiritual decline doesn't just kind of happen by accident. It's, it's no mystery. It's not a secret how it happens. No, spiritual decline happens for many reasons. But one of the main reasons is when you are no longer meeting together with the people of God. So my question for you this morning is, who is it who you are actively seeking to encourage in the Christian faith? Who is it this morning who you could encourage in their faith? And who encourages you? Gathering regularly to encourage others is one of the keys to spiritual growth. So that we are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And as we do that, we will discover another key for spiritual growth. And at first glance, it is a bit of a shocker. As Paul tells us, we need to, thirdly, suffer for the gospel. So, back into Philippians chapter 1, check out verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So there are two great privileges there, aren't there? Privilege number one is to believe in him. We talked about this earlier, but if you're a Christian, you probably find yourself taking that for granted often. But it is an incredible privilege to believe in Christ, to know Christ, to be forgiven by Christ, to be accepted by Christ, to be part of Christ's family, the church, to be used by Christ. Imagine living without Christ if you're a Christian. There'd be no forgiveness, no washing, no belonging, no hope. Yet privilege number two is not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. In fact, Paul says that this is something that we've been granted. It's, it's like a gift. I was talking to a couple recently who are getting married this year, and they're putting together um, uh, their kind of wedding gift list. You can imagine the kind of crockery and cutlery and other household items in this list, can't you? But can you imagine suffering on that list? I mean, I don't think John Lewis do that, do they? Well, if my memory of putting together a list like that is anything to go by, there was a certain amount of pain involved. Yet Paul says Christians should see suffering as a gift. 
That's extraordinary, isn't it? Yet it's nothing new. Jesus taught the very same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you, he said, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now notice what Jesus isn't saying. He's not saying that you are blessed when you are so difficult and obnoxious that you seriously tick people off and they just want to have a swing at you. And neither is he saying you should consider yourself really lucky, really fortunate when things go wrong and your world starts to kind of fall apart. Jesus would never be that crass. No. He says, because of me. That's when you're blessed. When you suffer because of your faith in me. Because of your stand for him in a world that stands against him. Sometimes when you seek to live as a Christian or speak up for Christ's standards, you ruffle feathers, don't you? Some people get upset with you. Do you ever stop to think, why? Well, I reckon one of the main reasons is because it confronts them with what they have been trying to avoid, which is Christ. Most folks have a sneaking suspicion that there is something more to life. And they have a begrudging respect for Jesus. And a sense that they need to think about who he is and where life is going before it's all too late. But they push those thoughts aside because they want to stay in control of their lives. So when Christians stand firm in their faith, right in front of them, and side by side, in numbers, for the faith of the gospel, verse 28, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. If you try to speak the gospel and live out gospel values, that will give people an uncomfortable reminder of what they know deep down that they live ignoring God and one day it will come back to bite them. So as they try to push those thoughts aside, they will inevitably push you aside. And Jesus says, you shouldn't be surprised by that at all. It's all part of the territory. He says in Matthew 5, if you belong to me, then there will be from time to time, for one reason or another, in one way or another, insults, opposition, and character assassination against you. That's what happened to the prophets in the Old Testament. That's what happened to Paul too. And that's what even happened to Jesus himself. So don't be surprised when it happens to you. Instead, rejoice. And consider it a privilege to suffer for Christ. Partly because you get to be like him. You get to follow in his footsteps. But also because those footsteps make us ready for heaven. They get us ready for heaven. Did you notice the motivation Jesus gave? Because great is your reward in heaven. Suffering now, glory later. And every step of the way to heaven, Jesus uses our suffering to stretch our faith and get us ready for living with him there. It's suffering that proves, that strengthens and deepens our faith. Faith is a little like a muscle in the body. It is when, it wor- when it's worked out that it grows. It needs something to push against. Physical training is a painful and sweaty process. An athlete preparing for this summer's Olympic Games 
doesn't get ready by lazing around on the sofa, drinking sangria, munching on Doritos, do they? No, muscle growth requires discomfort. And faith needs the pushback of trials for us to grow spiritually. Our faith will remain flimsy and weak if we never suffer for it, if we never have it tested. Folks, we're fortunate to live in a country where there is relative Christian freedom. But I do sometimes wonder if we are in no way being opposed. Is it because we're not being clear enough or open enough about our faith? I don't think we need to be sadomasochists going looking for trouble. But I do wonder if we experience no opposition or difficulty at all for our faith. Are we really being clear enough about who we belong to? Perhaps you are suffering for your faith. You're in a family or a workplace where there's no other believers. And you do experience not an active physical kind of persecution, but there is opposition to you and your faith and your Bible and your Jesus. And that can sometimes be really painful, really discouraging. Well, Paul says here, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. This is a sign that you will be saved, that you're living for him. It's a sign that you're part of the family of God. And it's a sign to those who oppose you that they are in big, big trouble. And it reminds them and us that we need to do something about that. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged at all. Keep seeking to live for the gospel and fight together for the gospel and suffer for the gospel. Let's pray that through right now. Let's pray. Father God, We don't want our hearts to be too cast down by the difficulties of living for you in a culture that disowns you. But it is hard. So send your spirit to speak to our hearts of the astonishing goods and glories we have and will have in you. As we remember those privileges, our hearts will be reignited to live, fight and suffer for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just for our sake, we pray but so that we may win round those who oppose us with our Christ-like words and deeds. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.